Hey, good morning, everybody. It's really, really good to see you. If we've never met before, and we often have guests in our church, my name is Josh. I have the privilege uh, to serve here as the lead pastor, and uh, I love, I love, love so much what I get to do. And so today, uh, I'm going to be bringing the word to us today, and I say us on purpose because we all need God's word. Say amen right there. Amen. Before I do, though, there's a couple things that I want to say. I was going to say happy birthday to my wife, but I didn't realize she was the one bringing the table, and so I just took... uh, the opportunity to do that. But recently, just a couple of short weeks ago, in celebration of my wife's birthday, uh, we went on a cruise. It was a four-day, uh, like four-night, I guess, uh, cruise. And if you've ever cruised before, you know that oftentimes when you go to, like, to your dinner, and I know some people don't participate in the dinner thing, but like when you go to the dinner, sometimes you are with like other people that you didn't meet until dinner. And that can either be cool or it can be super, super weird, right? And if it's too weird, you just don't go back the next night. Come on, right? How many of you guys have cruised and you know what I'm talking about in here? Well, we, uh, me being the social animal uh, that I am, we had this group table. And so, of course, we're all asking questions and saying, hey, what's up? Let's get to know each other. Anyway, uh, we just made a few new friends, Lauren and I, on that trip. Two of which, uh, Stacy and Hannah. So I t- here's what I said to those ladies. I said, if you guys will watch two weeks from now, because I don't preach this coming Sunday, but if you'll watch the following, I'll give you guys a shout out and I'll say hello to our new friends, Stacy and Hannah, who are ER nurses in a Cleveland hospital. So what's up? I told you guys that I would do it. Hello. Um, if you're actually watching, I would be super uh, surprised, actually, because that was a long time ago, and you might have just been uh, very polite at the dinner table. But if you did uh, follow through and watch, reach out to me. I would love to say hello and know that you've watched. But uh, anyway, thank you guys for what you do in Cleveland, saving people's lives. We had some cool stories from them around the dinner table, so I just wanted to say hello to you. And then I also want to give a shout out to Wendy and her family, who faithfully, as I understand, tune in from New Zealand. And so what's up? What's up? Good to have you. Welcome. Yeah. Very, very cool. So before I get into the message, can I just start with what I feel like is the biggest elephant in the room? Is that okay? The biggest elephant in the room in my mind, and maybe nobody sees it, but I see it, is this water bottle right here. All right? You see that? See how I got water? And then you, when you tried to walk in this morning with your water, we were like, can't happen. All right? And so disclaimer, can I just give you a disclaimer this morning? All right? It is the rules of this high school's auditorium that liquid is not to be in here. And I realize that right now, I am right in front of you all breaking that rule, okay, with that, okay? And so here's what I want to say. I'm getting over an annoyingly long cold. You might can hear it in my voice uh, just a little bit. And so I have this just in case I need it. And so first, I apologize that I have my water and you don't have yours. And then second, I'll make a deal with you that when you preach, you can have your water, okay? (laughs) Is that fair? All right. I want to get into uh, the next installment of a series that we've been in, a series that we've been calling The Blueprint. And we are in a verse-by-verse study of a handful of verses in Matthew chapter 16. In fact, uh, in my preparation and my prayer for this, I feel like the Spirit of God opened my eyes to see and understand something that I had never seen before, even though they were popular verses that I know I've read before, um, even perhaps I would imagine that somewhere in my past preached on before, but what I saw was like a little bit of a layout, like, oh my gosh, like, like it's, it's almost like dominoes, like they connect, like one tips and then the other one tips and the other one tips. And so when I brought this back to our, t- to our team, 
Uh, we just spent an entire day in Bible study, prayer, and collaboration, and we fabricated this eight-part series that we're in. And so we're in installment number four out of Matthew chapter 16. And so let's go there. Let, let's just get right into the text. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read from verse 13 where it begins. I'm gonna take us all the way through verse 18 where we're gonna really dig in and study today. But the Bible says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, like, what's the word on the street? What's my reputation? What do people think of me? It's the question that he was asking. Um, and they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh, let me just summarize that super quick. They're like, people think you're awesome. Like, you got a good rep out there. He's like, well, that's cool. But then he asked the question, but what about you? What, like, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, verse 16, answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And that statement right there, everybody, is the foundation of it all. It really, truly is the foundation of it all because Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, and here's kind of the emphasis, I will build my church. Jesus says that, that he's going to build his church upon a rock, and the church that he's going to build, the Bible tells us that the powers of hell cannot conquer and that is pretty awesome to hear. And Pastor Derek last week did a phenomenal job, by the way, of helping us understand the difference between the little rock, Petros, and this big rock, Petra, that he's going to build his, like with these little rocks like us, he's going to build his church upon the rock, the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus himself. That is a low pitch for an amen right there. Jesus is the cornerstone. In other words, if we don't build on Christ, it falls down. It does not work, and that's the big idea here. And so everything that Jesus is saying he's going to build on is the very revelation that Peter had. It wasn't that Peter just got the right answer. It's that Peter understood that you are who you say you are. You are Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the savior of the world. You are the propitiation for my sin. You will be the one that pays the price for me, just like Larry led us through this morning in communion together. Peter gets this understanding that like, dang, you are everything. And Jesus is like, that revelation and the people that understand that revelation, not just intellectually, but in their heart, I can build a church with that that nothing can ever stand against. That's a beautiful thing to hear. But we're going to dig into this just a little bit because there's a couple things this morning that I want to emphasize, and the first is this. So let's get excited, okay? You ready to be excited? The first is that the church Jesus is building, which if you're a follower of Christ Jesus means you, means that you're victorious. He's like, I'm going to build a church that hell itself can't stand against. It's stinking awesome. Because how many of you guys know that life gets difficult and there are challenges in life and things come against us and it's really reassuring when we hear from Jesus himself, right? So if you have a red letter edition Bible, these words would be written in red, which means they came out of Jesus' mouth, that he's like, I am going to build you in a way that guarantees victory. That's awesome. And that's the upside. And that's the part that we want to get excited about and say amen to. So, so I'm going to say something you're going to say amen, okay? All right? 
You are a church that will always win. Amen. All right. Now we're going to round a corner, and that's probably the last amen you're going to want to say today. <laughs> Preacher warning right now for the rest of the trip. You ready? Because here, here's the idea, here's the thing, is that if he's building a church that hell can't conquer, that kind of comes with like two-sided coin a little bit, that like, yeah, we're victorious because of Christ and his work in us, but it also kind of says like, you're going to get in a fight. So we're going to talk about spiritual warfare today, everybody. In fact, in, in the ESV, I'm going to read the 18th verse in a different translation. In the ESV English Standard Version, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, I just want you to recognize that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, we're not going to get deep into that today, but the actual word gates is pretty significant. We're going to dig more into this next week because the next thing Jesus says is that he's going to give us some keys and with these keys, you're going to have the authority to lock some things, and you're going to have some authority to unlock some things. It's the very next thing that Jesus would say. And those keys and these gates directly connect, okay? So here, here's all I want you to hear, is that the gates represent authority. So it isn't just that, like, evil minions can't beat you. It's like the greatest authority in hell can't conquer this church. And that's kind of a big deal. And so just right off the gate, I want you to understand that, that like the, like the highest ranking, the most skilled. So I don't know what it looks like in the evil kingdom, and I don't really want to, but like the Navy SEALs of that kingdom cannot conquer this church. Are you with me? But that kind of tells me that like, man, dang, we, we might have a battle on our hands. I want to read you something, and I, and I pray this is in, encouraging to you. It's from uh, a Matthew Henry commentary I use that commentary often to do some deeper study. Matthew Henry speaks in very, very old school language, like born way ahead of us, okay? But I just, there was one little snippet of the, of the I don't know, I don't know how many words I read. It was long. There's a lot of them. And I don't really like to read. I'm a country boy, and I like pictures and graphs, okay? <laughs> but I read words. And, uh, and, there, <laughs> and there were a few right here that I just thought, man, that, like, I just loved it. And so I just captured it. I, I believe it's going to be on the screen. But this is what Matthew Henry says. He says, when, when speaking about this church that Jesus describes that the gates of hell can't stand against, here's what he says. This assures us that the enemies of the church shall not gain their point. While the world stands, and I love this, Christ will have a church in it, which his truths and ordinance shall be owned and kept up in spite of the opposition of the powers of darkness. Amen. Man, that was probably my favorite few words from the entire commentary that I read over and over and over with detail as I studied were these words. That, man, like, this assures us that Christ Jesus is always going to have a victorious church in the earth, Amen. essentially. But, but there are some things inside of that little commentary, and this is not the Bible. I'm not preaching on this. I'm just using it to help us get to the word, okay? But there are a few things that he says, and what he says is that the church has enemies. Notice that. Is it still up? Just leave it there. That the enemies of the church, he, he mentions that. And then he says, in spite of all that opposition, in spite of it all. And so I want to I actually help us today. Is that okay? I would, like, I know that you want to come to church and feel good, 
But I want you to come to church and actually be equipped to win. I'm just going to preach a little bit today. Because Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, this is what he said. You, he said, I've said all these things to you. So he's been talking to his disciples and doing his thing. And I've, look, I've, said, I've done all this. I've said all this stuff because I need you to have peace. So it's like, in, in me, you're going to have peace. And then what does he say? In this world, you will have tribulation. Like, it's coming. And then he's like, but relax, because I've overcome the world. Again, I'm building a church at the gates of hell. Will not prevail against. Years ago, a long time ago, 2005, I was in Iraq, and we were going on a convoy, and I was sitting in a convoy briefing. I've told this story before. I'm going to do it really, really a short version of it today. And we're in, this, we're in this briefing, and we are talking about routes and alternate routes. And so, hey, this is the, this is the route we prefer to take, but if there's some sort of reason we can't take it, uh, we're going to take this route. And if not that one, we're going to take this route, blah, blah, blah. And so we're doing the whole thing, I mean, this whole entire thing. And we're talking about all the stuff, man, the IEDs that are potential and the, and the enemies that are out there and all this kind of stuff. And I'll just, there was just one moment. By the way, let me give you a disclaimer. Like, I never did cool stuff. There's some real true heroes that sit in our church. I am not one of those. I was not like one of the rad soldiers that's like, bah, come Come on, get on the ground. I wasn't that dude. I was their cargo that day. Okay, I just want you to know that. And so this was like kind of a unique experience for me. I'm just throwing that in parentheses so you know who I really am. And so we're in this briefing, and there was one moment that just sort of stood out to me uh, that I'll never forget. I honestly think it was a moment that God wanted me to experience. I think God put me in that place and on that trip on purpose. And there was this one moment where the commander of the briefing said these words, expect contact. Okay, so if you're not like familiar with, with like military vernacular, let me tell you what he said to us essentially. You're gonna get in a gunfight today. And I'm like, oh, well, that, all right. I mean, we trained for it. You know, I got a couple bullets, let's go. But it was a little bit sobering to recognize that the likelihood of what I was about to go do was gonna put me at potentially great peril, certainly at risk, and I just knew, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that when I leave this room and I get in them trucks, I'm probably going to be in a fight. And I just think that Jesus was trying to do the same thing in John chapter 16 when he was like, what's up? In this world, you're going to get in a fight. It's not always going to be easy. And look, if you've lived longer than a day, you know that to be true, right? Because life is what life is. I used to teach my children when they're small, they're all getting older and certainly more mature and all those kind of things. And I used to teach my kids when they were smaller, I would say, look, I want you to take the word fair. I want you to wad that thing up and throw it in the trash can because life ain't fair. I don't ever want to hear about fair. Fair's not good. You don't even want fair, truth is. Like if, you, if fair is what you're looking for, then we're all going to hell for our sin because that's fair. But Jesus isn't fair and he offered us another route, and that is life in him. And so today I want to get into the idea here of spiritual warfare. And I want to talk about it in a way that might be a little bit unique or different uh, than, than perhaps, perhaps, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying it's some gra like groundbreaking thing, but perhaps different than even how you've heard of it or might expect to hear about it. Because here's what I think happens, that oftentimes when we get into the context of spiritual warfare, which again, I'm going to go back to my parentheses, the church probably should talk about it a little more often, so um, that's up to me, count on me and the spirit of the living God to bring this up a little more frequently at Church on the Rock, amen? But when we bring this subject up, let me speak for myself, my mind immediately goes to like this battlefield or war zone kind of a mindset instantly 
And it's like there's this army of God, and then there's this army of the enemy, and then there's the battle that's going to take place between those two armies. And so my mind immediately kind of wraps around the idea of like, you know, we live in a fallen world, which is very, very true and unfair, horrible things happen that are unexplainable. And I just can't tell you, I mean, I was sitting with a friend of mine the other day who just experienced significant loss in his life, like a loved one is gone, and he's trying to wrap his mind around like, why? And I'm like, bro, I don't have the answer because I think it sucks too. I have no answer for you. I don't know. But it's, it's just this world that we live in. Are, are, are you with me? And we all know it and we all experience it. And I know that sometimes when we get into spiritual warfare conversation, we're thinking like that, like this big army thing and this big like opposition and warfare. And I know that some of you think the government is who we're fighting and that's not true. And, and I know that sometimes we think about the cosmos and the big, you know, the evil forces and I'm, all that stuff is there, but that's not what I want to talk about today. Here's what I want us to hear, and here's where the preaching is about to begin, that I think that Satan's greatest tactic of attack for you is you, actually. And so I'd I'd like to zero in on us today, because I know that we want to blame the fallen world all the time for our issues, sometimes we gotta stand in front of the mirror and blame fallen self for our issues. Because when we step into a relationship with Christ, here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, that any person who is in Christ has become a new creation. The Bible says that the old is gone and behold, I love it, it's like surprise. All things become new. Now, there are certain things in our lives. I don't know how much time I got today, but I'm pretty, oh man, less than I thought. There are certain times, like in our lives, that that the power of the living God just removes things from us unexplainably. I can't even explain that. Like, 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 man, I smoked for 30 years, gave my life to Christ, not even, and I haven't touched one since. Cool, man, that's some people's testimony, while others will battle the rest of their lives to overcome something like that, right? Okay, all right. That kind of thing. And sometimes this stuff gets removed and then sometimes we have, to, we have to still fight against former self that wants to rule and reign in our lives. And too oftentimes, all of us have the former self standing up taller than new self and that has some ramifications in our lives. And so I, I just, I wanna get into that just a little bit today. And so I want to take us to the very beginning of it all in Genesis chapter 3. Can we just go back to the beginning? Genesis chapter 3, I want to set the stage for you just a little bit before we get into the context here. That Satan, the great adversary to the church, and his demons, which are a thing, this is all within the Bible, Satan and all his demons used to be, and I know this is hard for some people to wrap their minds around, but used to be angels in heaven. In fact, in heaven, Satan's name was Lucifer, and his responsibility was the worship in heaven. So like, we have this incredible guy named Jeremy, who's our worship director here and serves on our staff here at church, and he was right here on the keys. He had a great voice for song one. I'm like, bro, that might be my favorite rendition of it, just his voice, that song. Anyway, I digress. But like, what he does for us is what Satan did in heaven. He made the worship happen. But there's this thing that took place, and I don't know how it happened. Look, we're not going to get too deep into this today, but there's this thing that happened where somehow in Lucifer's heart, pride rose up. And again, I don't fully understand all this, man. I just take this stuff by faith. 
But like his pride rose up and here's what he said in his heart that he said, I will be like the most high. I will ascend to the heights. And there's all this self-serving, self-promoting language that comes. And then Jesus was like, yeah, about the time he had them thoughts, I watched him fall like lightning out of heaven. Didn't take long. The justice of God was instant. And somehow he got this band of gurus that are like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's be like God and let's ascend to the most high. And boom, they're kicked down to the earth and all that kind of stuff. And then probably most likely Genesis 1 comes and then the chaos on the earth, God brings some order and form to. All right, if you like it in the deep end of the pool, welcome. Put on your floaties, we're jumping in. So we're gonna pick up in, in Genesis chapter three because God brings order to the chaos and then he puts mankind in there and then Satan comes and he does what Satan does. But here's the interesting thing and here's, here's just what... Here's what I want you to, like, what you got to know before we start reading the first verse is that the Bible says in, in creation, and just so that you know, God spoke everything into existence. Everything, the power of his word made the sun shine. It made the formation of the oceans and the land, just the power of his word. And that, that, is, that means something because the power of his word is real. But it's interesting because you, and if you're in here today or you're tuning in online and you're really struggling with some self-worth, like type stuff, and you're kind of you're feeling down about you, and look, we've all probably been there, and sometimes it's worse than others, whatever. Like, I just want you to recognize that God did not speak you into existence. He formed you with his very hands, and then he breathed his very breath into you to give you life. And here's what the Bible tells us, Genesis, that he created us in his likeness. Why does that matter? I want you to wrap your mind around something with me this morning, that Lucifer said, I will be like the most high. See ya. And then God said, I am gonna create these people like me. Do you think Satan hates you or what? For whatever reason, God gave to you and me exactly the thing that his prideful heart was after. Think about that. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll start reading in verse 1. And the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman of the serpent, is Satan, by the way. And one day he asked the woman, and I want you to notice exactly the first thing that the enemy started with, and he said, did God really say? I want you to recognize that the first thing challenged to mankind from our adversary is the word of God. This is what, now nah, I'm preaching next week's message. Come back next Sunday. Come on back. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees of the garden. Did he, did he say that? Verse 2, of course, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. And then Satan says you won't die. 
God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. Do you see what he's doing? It's a total manipulation. Because here's the reality, they were already like God. And now he's manipulating them to think that you're not adequate and you're not enough and you need more. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In verse six, and the woman was convinced and she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her dumb following husband <laughs> who was with her the whole time and he ate it too. So I don't want to hear no battle of the sexes here. All right, guilty both of them as charged. All right, verse seven. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. It's the first time that these kind of emotions come into our lives. They felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Man, I just want to preach for like three hours. But when we are walking in sin, we will always do our part to cover it. All right. All right. Verse 8. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And so let's just slow all this down and unpack this just a little bit because here's what we recognize is that Satan comes in and he challenges God's word. Satan comes in and he begins to manipulate what's already true. And then Satan comes in and he creates a deception and an allure to something that God has said, this is not best for you. And they took it anyway. And what happens is new emotions come in, new feelings come in, inadequacy comes in. And now, instead of having, having a perfect peace and unity with God, there has to be a covering over their shameful state, and they try to cover themselves, which is why you will never earn your way into heaven. And this is what we're trying to do when we try to be good little boys and girls and not be bad ones. That's why that isn't enough. Okay? And then, and then Jesus, because they use some, like some fig leaves and all that kind of stuff, and then Jesus comes in and he slaughters an animal and he covers them with the skin of an animal, which is why death and blood all of a sudden starts to matter a lot. I did not expect to preach any of this this morning. Let's just go with it. And so now all of a sudden, a whole new deal comes into play into the life of those who want to walk with God, which is why, can I just fast forward really fast and we'll just come back to today's message, which is why the Lamb of God, Jesus, is the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. And there's a difference between all the sacrifice from the Garden of Eden through the temple and the sacrifices that they used to do. Like you'd walk into the lobby of church, there's like a butcher, like, sup, good morning, come on in. Like, like that was church, right? And that was normal because there had to be a covering over our sin. And the unique difference, this is why Jesus matters, this is why there's no other way to the Father, this is why the gospel is true and Jesus is the Lamb of God, because when the Lamb of God was slain, he no longer covers your sin. He removes your sin. The Bible says as far as the east is from the, it's a whole new game. It's a whole new game. Okay. <laughs> All right, so listen, you want to come back to today's message? All right. And so us, like, the greatest tactic against me 
is me. Because of fallen self. And because of my propensity to feel like I need more. And that's not enough. And because of the deception of the enemy in our lives. He is a deceiver and a manipulator and he twists things and things that you feel like you need and you go strive for and God's like, but you already have it. You have it in me. All right, let's, there are three things we're gonna talk about this morning and the first one is this, is the lust of the flesh. We're gonna talk about the lust of the eye and we're gonna talk about the pride of life. Yeah, this is where the amens quit right here. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh is like this, like, did God say, did God say, do it your way, you know best. Did God really say that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life? Did God really say, or is, there, or is, or is the world changing? And are things progressing and then the manipulation of the enemy would come into our lives and we would want to get things out of order because we start to question, does God know best? Do I trust him or do I trust me? Lust of the flesh. And all of a sudden we want to start making uh, allowances for things and, and, and we want to start to ignore, well, you know, I just, I don't look at those verses and I don't look at those chapters. And what we do is we are deceived by the enemy and we step out of God's will for our lives and we start to do it our own way because we are walking in the lust of our flesh, which is why we will say, really, you're going to wait till you're married to have sex. I mean, oh my gosh, you should test drive a car before you buy it, right? 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 And then we use our stupid logic to manipulate God's word because of the lust of our flesh. Can I just jump on a soapbox right here? All right, what I'm about to say are the kinds of things that preachers don't want to say. They don't want to say it. And I'm just going to tell you exactly why they don't want to say it. Because often West Virginia somewhere, a 32-year-old sitting in his mom's basement with nothing better to do, and he's going to take this, and he's going to clip it and soundbite it and pull everything directly out of context and then throw hammers at me and us. But I, you know what, like, whatever. I'm worried about us as a church. I'm not worried. I can't handle all that. Cause can, I, can I have your permission to preach today? This is, this, is, this is why things like this, I'm about to get on, I'm about to get on a controversial, uh, pray for your pastor. But this is why the church has totally mishandled so many things. Like, for example, homosexuality. I told you. And here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to do, is we want to create an us versus them type of a thinking, and as soon as it becomes us versus them, we are standing in self-righteousness, okay? That's what we're doing. And so because the Bible is clear about relationships and how they should function under God's blessing and covering, it is very clear about that, we want to take a stance against things that are socially like important, and what we'll do is we'll create us versus them. I don't have that issue, and you should get yourself fixed. But that's self-righteousness. So what if we just dial it back a little bit, and instead of isolating one type of potential confusion or temptation or draw, what if we dial it back and instead of just nailing on one of them, like for example, homosexuality, what if we just dial back and talk about the whole thing like sexual morality? 
Because the moment we do that, we're all guilty. And then it doesn't become us versus them in the more, anymore. And so just because I'm heterosexual and that's not my fight and that's not my battle doesn't make me pure before God. When I'm driving down the road on St. Augustine Beach and that beautiful woman's jogging down the sidewalk and my eyes just watch her run by and I lust after her. Jesus said this, that if you even look at a woman, even look at a woman with, with uh, lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. I love rap music, and I only listen to Christian rap. I listen to all kinds of music, but when I listen to rap music, it's only Christian rap music. And one of my favorite artists has this little uh, phrase. It's a bar in one of his songs, and he says that Jesus has been raising the stakes ever since the stake was risen. Jesus didn't diminish the power of his word. He elevated it. And so what we ought to do is we ought to scale back and make sure that we remind ourselves that we all are prone to fall in self because we all have sinned and fall short of the, all of us. Because you can throw your stones at the people that sin differently than you do and then you go off and you've got your own little issues and here, here's the deal, it's the same thing because it's all equal at the foot of the cross. All right, that's dangerous. I'll look for your emails and probably... <laughs> So the lust of the flesh, man, it gets us all. The lust of the flesh questions the word of God and, le- and, and causes us to lean toward our own way of living, and that's dangerous. There's even the lust of the eye, and what that says is, man, it looks good, and I gotta have it. I gotta have that. And that's where we fall into the wrong kind of temptations, and we buy stuff we can't afford, and we do stuff that we, that, that we probably ought not do, and we get ourselves in it because it's like, man, I got to have it. I got to have it. And even though God has called you to be a financial steward, all right, let's just use another example. He's called you as a follower of his, a disciple of Jesus, to be a steward of the resources that he has given you, and good, healthy stewards of God return their first and their best to the storehouse, and they give it back into the Lord. But some of us are giving our first and our best to our boat payment. We're giving our first and our best to our vacation schedule. We're giving our first and our best to other things in our lives. And the problem is, it's the lust of the eye. I gotta have it. My neighbor got a boat. What am I supposed to do? Well, can you afford the boat? Well, no. Then don't buy a boat. If you can have a boat, have a boat. Man, that's awesome. And then take your neighbor, because he would love to fish with you. <laughs> Can't afford it. You can, so take him with you. But we fall into these things, and then finally, the pride of life. You understand, i got to do this quick. We could tunnel down here a long way. The pride of life. And here's what the pride of life says. I am my God, so I serve me. It's my way. I don't want to hear it. The pride of life doesn't, doesn't take good counsel. The pride of life doesn't hear truth. The pride of life will, will do exactly what it wants to do. The pride of life will manipulate the Bible to fit them instead of modify their life to fit the Bible. The pride of life trusts themselves. I'll do it my way. And this is why, and this is not new, been happening since people were made. This is why there are all these progressive thoughts about what's okay and not okay and, and these the Bible calls them other gospels that we have to be careful that are pushing themselves in on the church and causing us to fall to the temptation of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And I did a word study here because I'm like, he must mean like worldliness. 
you know, like killing and stealing, the things that the Ten Commandments would tell us not to do. He must mean that. And then I did a little word study, and the word is cosmos. That's the Greek word. It literally means, like, look around. It literally means, like, this, the world. Hey, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Gosh. Gosh, what a statement. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That kind of a sentence takes self-righteousness away from us because all of us. I probably love chasing white-tailed deer too much. So it, get, it gets to You understand what I'm saying? It gets to me. And you probably got something in this world that it's, it gets to you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, say hello, I'll call them later, is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So listen, we're all guilty. We all have our things, man. None of us are perfect and none of us have it figured out. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that when we go into the spiritual battlefield that we remind ourselves that Satan's greatest tactic against us is most likely us. Because we will, how, how often have you lied to yourself? Justified something you know isn't justifiable, but you justified it. Whatever it is, man, and here's the thing. This is what I love about God's word. We, none, we can't escape. None of us. It doesn't matter what your title is, your background. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care how long you've been in church. It, like, when it comes to God's word and the truth therein, we can't escape it. It points and it prods and it challenges and it changes. It sets free and it redeems, it restores and it builds up. It does the same for all of us. The word of God, the word of God, it challenges us to fight and put to death that old self. And it challenges us to fight and step into the new self created in Christ and in his image and in his way of being. So today as we close, we're going to do something that's uh, a, maybe slightly different. So every Sunday now, for quite some time, uh, we've been doing some very intentional things at the end of our service, and we call it around here, we just call it response. Because here's the thing. All of us, everybody on earth, is called to respond to the gospel. At some point, we're going to respond those of us that follow Jesus should be consistently responding to the gospel in our lives. And so what we do when we gather as a church is we just give ourselves the opportunity to respond to God's word every single weekend. And so um, what we do is the, the lights abruptly turn out because during the summer's renovation, we lost the ability to fade the lights. So if you're like, why do they do that? We can't not, sorry. The high school's frustrated with it too. I guess we're trying to get it fixed. So just be aware of that. So here in a moment, I'm actually gonna have you all stand and those lights are gonna go out and, and we're gonna respond to the gospel today. And so we've been inviting people to come down toward the front and people will get on their knees or stand or whatever. And sometimes they're just, they're just further engaging in worship. Oftentimes they're just, just praying and calling on God. 
Sometimes they might be gathered with one another side by side or something, and they're, and they're praying. And then sometimes we have uh, prayer partners that will pray with other people. And they, and they wear these lanyards. And some people, I see a few in the room right now, and they wear these lanyards. And it's basically an identifier, like, like, yo, what's up? Like, I'm here to pray with you. And so here's what we've discovered, okay? I'm going to give you a little logistics, and then we're going to respond to the gospel. So if a prayer partner is standing here, um, and they're prepared to pray with you, because sometimes you, like, you just need somebody like, would you just battle with me, right? That's such a good thing. We need that. And so if the prayer partner is standing here, and then somebody comes down front, and then we're worshiping, man, and we're just calling on God. Here, here's what tends to happen. We'll have four, five, six prayer partners, let's say, down at the front. And we have four, five, six, eight people, you know, down there praying with them. So, so we, got, we got 20 people kind of praying together. And we got hundreds of people, you know, praying at their seats and worshiping and responding in the balcony and whatever. And so what happens is we have a little bit of a competition. And here's what the, and some of you guys are like, I never even thought of this. I'm gonna let you behind the curtain of church life, Okay. And here's the competition. It's like, well, we want our prayer partners to pray with people, but we want our church to worship. And if you've ever been a prayer partner or been prayed with, like, it is tough business, man, because it's like you're shouting in the person's ear, like, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus. And if your voice is like mine, which is very, very strained today, it's just exasperating the issue. It's like, well, dang, like, so which one should win? And we just decided both are going to win, Okay. So from today, moving forward, here's what's gonna happen. When we stand and we worship together, some of you, you're gonna respond right there where you are, and that's okay. And some of you are just gonna feel called by God to come down toward the front because there are some things you need to just lay down before the Lord. You might wanna kneel down or whatever, and you're, so you're gonna make your way up here by, by, like by yourself, and you're just gonna worship and respond. But then others of you are like, man, I, just, I want somebody to pray with me, but I would love it if I could hear what they're saying. It would be awesome. So from today forward, we're gonna have somebody staged at the foot of these stairs right over here, and those two doors are just gonna open up. And in that hallway, we've created like a prayer room. And we're gonna have prayer partners just in that room right there. And the doors are gonna stay open so that worship can carry out there. But then we remove the competition of the sound and the prayer. And so today, what, that's what we're gonna do. And some of you are like, man, I need somebody to like go to war with me against former self. Like I need somebody to pray with me about the things that keep, Messing me up. Good. You have an opportunity to do that. Some of you say, no, no, no. I'm going down there, and I'm going to take former self, and I'm going to lay it down at the altar this morning on my own. I'm doing that, and that's good, man. You can do, you can do that. And some of you are going to stay right there or just worship or pray together. Is that making sense, everybody? Because, man, look, it ain't about sermons and songs. It's about the power of God. It's got to transform us. It has to change us from the inside out or what are we doing otherwise? Let's stand together. I'm gonna lead us in prayer because some of us that are in this room or tuning in online, maybe you've never made a decision to step into a relationship with Jesus. And quite frankly, maybe you never understood why it mattered. But when I talked about the Lamb of God being our sacrifice, maybe that was the revelation. Like, I get it. I understand all of a sudden the significance of Jesus. And so maybe you want to step into a personal relationship with him today. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, please. This is where the lights are going to abruptly go dark. Maybe that's you. And today is day one. This is like your reborn moment. And you're going to lean in and step into a relationship with Jesus. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I would love to invite you to say this prayer with me. Here we go. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. Come into my heart. 
Forgive me my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we give praise to God for those that made that decision?